If you have your Bibles, please open them with me to Exodus chapter 34 this morning. Today, for our Christmas Eve service, we will read only nine verses, but friends, they are nine of the most powerful and nine of the most often repeated verses in the entire Bible because they are God's self-description of himself. And so let us read Exodus chapter 34, verses 1 to 9 this morning. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on, the, on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. These nine verses are all about the name of God. In verses 5 to 6, we see the word LORD in all capital letters used five times. When you, when you see the word LORD in all capital letters like that, it represents the name of God that he gave for himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. It, it represents God's personal name, which is Yahweh. It is the divine name, the he is the great I am. He is the self-existent one. It is the sacred name for God. Now, friends, we already know this from Exodus chapter 3 and the burning bush. But now, in a, in a moment of great pain and sorrow and difficulty, as, as Moses pleads to see the Lord's glory, rather than letting Moses see his face directly, it says that the Lord descended and proclaimed the name of the Lord. God descends. 
he condescends in order to make himself known to Moses. And and rather than giving a, a visual picture, he uses words to help Moses and to help us to be able to understand and even to begin to be able to define his character. Friends, in these nine verses, God himself, the the Lord, is in a sense preaching a sermon to us. He's proclaiming truth about who he is. And I do not think that there has ever been a more Christmas-themed sermon that has ever been preached. It says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. Friends, there are few things that capture the Christmas spirit and message more than the idea of the living God descending to be with his people. Friends, there's a reason why so many Christmas carols use the word Lord. Silent Night says, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Angels we have heard on high says, Christ the Lord, the newborn king. Hark the herald angels sing says, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. And joy to the world for the Lord has come. Christmas is all about the Lord Yahweh, the God of Exodus, the God of Israel, descending to dwell with his people. And my friends, the only right response to this loving condescension of God is to worship him with our words and with our lives. That is the main idea for our sermon this morning. The main idea is this. The the only right response to the Lord descending is to worship. We have two points Number one, he descends, and number two, we worship. Let's begin with the first point, he descends. As you know, if you have been with us, you are aware that this is a very dramatic point in the book of Exodus. Last week, we we considered the sinfulness of sin and how quickly the, the Israelites turned away from the Lord towards idolatry with the golden calf that they created. And so now God is threatening to leave his people behind. But then we also saw how God invited Moses to be the mediator, to be the intercessor for the sake of the Israelite people. God knew the whole time that he would have mercy, but he strategically positioned Moses to plead for that mercy. But it has been very dramatic. It's an intense part of the book, and it is in the middle of all of this that we see in chapter 33 how Moses pleads with God, and he pleads to see God's glory. In this this moment of desperation, in this moment of relational strain and trial, Moses wants to see God's person even more clearly. It's just like us in a healthy relationship. We're not satisfied with distance. Talking on the phone is not sufficient. Texting is not enough. We want to be in person with the people that we love. So Moses wants this from God. And God amazingly agrees. Now, now God does not agree to show Moses his face because chapter 33, verse 20 says that no one can see the face of God and live. God's holy presence is, is so great and so holy, it is not to be seen by sinful people. But God does say, Moses, I will find a way to show you my glory. He says that he's going to take Moses up on the mountain, 
He's going to put him in a, a cleft of the rock to protect him, and he's going to allow his glory to pass by him, and that he will allow Moses to see just the tail side of his glory. But that's it. Moses can't see more than that. But friends, even that is amazing. No one has ever seen God in this same way before. And so, can you imagine what Moses must have been feeling? In verses 1 to 4, God gives very specific and direct instruction. He tells Moses to cut two tablets for the law to be written. Why? That's because Israel broke the law. It's a sign of their sinfulness. And then God says, clear the mountain, Moses. He says in verse 3, no one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. God's presence is coming, and he wants the mountain to be cleared. It's kind of like when a president or a king come to a town. People go before them and and block off streets. They clear the area. They clear the beaches for them. They, They do things in order to protect the president or the king. Only here, the safety precautions are not for the president or the king. The mountain doesn't need to be cleared for God's safety. No, the mountain needs to be cleared for the safety of everyone else. Because God's holy presence is coming and it is that powerful. People cannot approach God's glory carelessly. God's presence and glory are that good. We must approach him with reverence and with appropriate awe. And so again, imagine what Moses must have been feeling. Excitement? Yeah. He's going to get to see a glimpse of God. Eagerness? Yes, we see that by how he gets up early in the morning, but also fear and uncertainty. What would this experience be like? Was Moses safe? Well, what if he didn't survive? What if God's glory was too great? What if Moses' unworthiness was too great? Would, would Moses be consumed Or would he die up on this mountain in the cleft of the rock, never to be found again? Think about what he must have felt. Moses was a sinner himself, but but even more so, he was representing sinful Israel who had just broken the commandments through idolatry. And so think about what he must have been feeling. Even as he asked to see God's glory, think about the appropriate fear and trepidation that must have been in him. Friends, what is your view of God this Christmas Eve. If you were Moses, what do you think you would be thinking and feeling as you got ready for this moment? I'll tell you what I would have been thinking about. My sin, my many imperfections. We've just broken the covenant. I'd be thinking about my pride, my selfishness, my impure thoughts, my impure actions, my laziness, my idolatry, my materialism, my love for the praise of men. If, if God was coming to meet with me in this way, I would be very aware of my sin and how much I deserve God's judgment. And friends, this text leads us to feel those things. They have to clear the mountain. Moses has to hide in the cleft of a rock. Why those precautions? Well, because Moses and the people would be consumed if they were not protected because they are a sinful people. Listen, the feel of these nine verses, it's it's almost fierce at first. 
as the mountain is being cleared, we can't help but feel how unapproachable God is. It feels like this encounter with God is going to be loud and forceful. It feels like God's getting ready to yell and scream a lot. As we read this text, we almost brace ourselves for the mountain erupting like a volcano and for Moses to be left standing in terror at the forceful power of God being put on display. That's what we begin to expect. And to be honest, we do get a forceful display of God's power but not in the way that we expect. If we anticipate a volcano of God's judgment, church, what we get is instead an explosion of mercy. What we get is mercy and grace. And friends, in this, oh, friends, God wants us to view him in this way. Even as sinful people, his self-description of himself begins with grace. Isn't it true that when you introduce yourself to someone or begin to describe yourself to someone, you tend to begin with your more favorable attributes, the things that you want to be known for first. If, if you're jumping into the online dating game and you're creating a profile for yourself, you don't get on there and start typing and say, hi, my name is Joel Shorey. I am selfish and proud and without coffee, a little bit grumpy. Or I'm Joel Shorey, generally addicted to work, and I hate the holidays and everybody around me. No, no. When you introduce yourself, you begin with what you want to be known by most. Joel Shorey, I enjoy long walks on the beach. <laughs> Outdoors is my home. I love adventure. I do community service every afternoon. And oh yeah, here's a profile picture with a cute dog that I adopted. We begin, we put forward the attributes that we want to be known by first. And friends, it's the same with God. The only difference with God is that there are no attributes, bad attributes with God. Every attribute is good. But the order that he speaks them is so intentional and so important for us to see and to hear. He, he desires us to think of him in a very specific way. When God descends in this cloud and it says that he stands with Moses, when it says that he proclaims the name of the Lord, friends, what does he say first? Church, when the volcano of God's glory erupts, when the substance of his person is known, when the core of his being is seen and felt, what do we see first? We see and hear and feel mercy. Mercy and grace. Look at verse 6. God says, he proclaims his name. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. God's profile description begins with mercy and grace. Friends, he could have said, the Lord, the Lord, a God strong and just. The Lord, a Lord, a God wrathful and angry. He doesn't. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. And what is grace and what is mercy? Well, mercy is not being given the judgment that you do deserve as a sinner. And grace is being given the forgiveness and the riches of love that you do not deserve as a sinner. 
And the very first way that God wants us to think of him is as a God who is merciful and gracious. When, when, when God proclaims his glory to his people, the first thing that we see is mountain-shaking power marked by mercy. Friend, the Lord is high and lifted up. Yahweh stands alone in his glory, even as it says in verse 6 that Moses needed to go to the top of the mountain, but even then God needed to descend in order to meet him. That is because he is transcendent. He is above all things. But when this transcendent God, who is high and lifted up, when he comes to speak to his people about who he is, what does he say? He says, I'm mercy. I'm grace. He descends and he speaks of his steadfast love. Friend, are you tempted to think harsh thoughts towards God? Are you tempted to cower before him because of your sin? Are you tempted to, to wallow in condemnation this Christmas season? You don't need to. Because the Lord lovingly descends towards his people to show mercy. This is who our God is. This, this is why Christmas is so merry and bright. Because God descends towards us, not first in judgment, but in mercy. Friends, that brings us to our second point. Point number one was that he descends. Point number two, we worship. So in verses 6 to 8, Moses encounters God in a clearer way than anyone had up until that point. The, the God of the mountain, the God behind the curtain in the tabernacle comes forward and says to Moses in a very personal way, this is who I am. This is how I want you to think about me. And verse 8 says that after God proclaims his name, Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped that word worship it, it means to honor it means to pay homage to it means to be devoted to 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 even lay prostrate before it's a it's a sign of devotion and loyalty and appreciation when it says that Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped it's saying that in response to God's self-disclosure, in response to what Moses learned about God in these verses, Moses now is devoting himself to God. He's, he's committing his entire life to God to give him the honor and to give him the glory that he deserves. And this is appropriate, right? When, when we witness an amazing event or an amazing performance, we quickly respond, don't we? When you, the eagles make a good move, we stand up and we yell. When you hear a perfect performance of Handel's Messiah, you get up and applaud. When you open the perfect present tomorrow morning, you will respond with joy and appreciation. And your response honors the thing that you have seen. You might stand up and applaud or you might just sit in amazement. Friends, the only right response to considering this God of Exodus who descends is to quickly worship with our lives. The right response is to either lay prostrate before him in humility as Moses does in this text or to stand up and sing and dance like Moses and the Israelites do in chapter 15. It's the only right response. But maybe you're not feeling it today. Maybe this picture of God in Exodus is not stirring Christmas cheer in you like you hoped this morning. 
Maybe this picture of God descending on a mountain to speak to a man thousands of years ago does not seem to have a direct application to your life. It doesn't, it doesn't stir you towards worship. But friends, as we have seen, the greatest joy of this book of Exodus is that it is not just an ancient manuscript disconnected from us, but rather it is a God-given testimony of God's faithfulness in the past and a very clear picture of his intentions for the future. The God who descends to stand with Moses on the mountain, oh friends, this is the God who fully plans even now in this text to descend again as a baby in a wooden manger and then ultimately to die on a wooden cross as the one mediator between God and man. And so so what we see here in Exodus 34, it's not an expired or a dated or an irrelevant profile picture of God. He does not need to update his profile picture for us this morning. No, because our God is unchanging and eternal. What we learn of him here is what we can know of him forever. And what we can know of him here is specifically seen in the Christmas miracle which we are celebrating together this morning. Friend, Do you know what you are looking at when you look at the face of baby Jesus? You are looking at the God of the mountain. Do you know what you are looking at when you look at the face of baby Jesus? You are looking at the man of war who defeated Egypt. As you look at this little baby laying there in the manger with his little face and his little fingers and his little toes, you are looking at the God who parted the Red Sea and who sent plagues of judgment against his enemy. As you look at this little baby Jesus, you're seeing the God of Exodus, Yahweh himself, the Lord in flesh. And as he descends in human form, What is the message that he proclaims to his people? Friends, it is the same message that he proclaimed to Moses on that mountain. Verse 5 says that the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. We can just reword that this morning and say the Lord descended as a baby and stood with us there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Jesus was born for us and proclaimed the Lord the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Friend, look at this baby. What do you see? You can and should see a God who is merciful and gracious. See him. See how merciful he was towards the tax collectors and sinners in his day. Look at this baby and look at what he would become and the grace that he would have for the woman caught in sexual sin. Look at this baby and his mercy and grace for the sick and for how he raised the dead. This baby, Jesus, he proclaims mercy and grace. Friends, look at this baby, Jesus, and see how slow to anger he is even as he lays there in the manger just as it says in verse 6 God is slow to anger look at how patiently Jesus lived 33 years in this world with sinful people his entire existence proclaimed God's slowness to anger Friend, look at this baby Jesus and how he is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness he's steadfast From the moment of birth to the cross, he was set on where God was sending him for you and for me. The baby 
contained and in some ways constrained by the manger, is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Look, look at this baby Jesus and consider how he has kept steadfast love for thousands. It says of Jesus that he looked at the crowds around him and he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion for them. The baby in the manger proclaims God's steadfast love for thousands. And it is love for shepherds and for kings. It is love for the religious and the irreligious. It is love for the Jew and the Gentile. It is love for the rich and the poor. Love for the strong and the weak. Love for the married and the single. It is love for the Asian and Hispanic and black and white. He keeps steadfast love for thousands. Friend, he keeps steadfast love for you. Look at this baby Jesus and consider how he forgives iniquity and transgression in sin. But it says, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children. Friends, our sin is serious. And our sin has lasting effect upon our families and upon our communities apart from God's grace. And this baby Jesus who descended, it says that he also ascended back to the Father and that he is now King of kings and Lord of lords. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He is a God of judgment as well. He is a God of justice as well. And God himself does not edit that attribute out of his profile. No, he includes it as part of his description. Why? Because we need a God of justice. We need a God of judgment. It is good that this God of mercy and grace also stands so strongly against evil and wrongdoing. His justice is good. He doesn't edit it out of his profile. Neither should we in our day. Nor do we need to. Because friends, it is before this great justice that this little baby in the manger is so eager to forgive iniquity and transgression and sin. God uses, for Moses, three words to describe sin. You can see them in verse 7. And he does so in order to capture the extent and the severity of our sin. But also to capture the glorious reality that he is able through his mercy and grace and steadfast love to forgive all of our sins. Friends, it doesn't matter how badly you have sinned. It doesn't matter how far gone from the Lord you feel that you are. It doesn't matter how crappy your 2023 was and how many times you messed up and made mistakes. This baby Jesus came to forgive your iniquity and transgressions and sins. There is nothing that you have done or nothing that you could do that could Sin your way beyond the grace of God. The God of this mountain has become the God of the manger, and he has willingly and eagerly and lovingly become the God of the bloody cross as well, paying the blood price, making atonement for our sins. God of Exodus 34, who describes himself as forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, this same God will soon hang on that bloody cross, crying out in agony, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is God's self-description of himself, and Friends, no one saw it more clearly than Moses on that mountain. No one saw it more clearly than Moses, that is, until Christmas night. 
when a clearer and brighter and more glorious proclamation of God's name would be seen and heard and known. This display of God's glory on the mountain, it is magnificent. Moses' face will come back shining from this encounter with God. But this baby in the manger, though veiled in flesh, is brighter than even what Moses saw. Moses asked to behold God's glory, and he did. But now, O oh church, Christian, because of the miracle of Christmas, the words of Exodus 34, the words have become flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory, full of grace and truth. And so listen, Exodus is not irrelevant for your life this Christmas season. This is not just written for Moses and the Israelites. No, this was written for us. All of Exodus is pointing forward to the Christmas miracle when the God of Israel will be born as a baby. Born in order to be the ultimate lamb that was slain as we saw in Exodus chapter 12. Born as a baby in order to become the ultimate bread from heaven, as we saw in Exodus chapter 16, and the ultimate water from heaven, refreshment for our souls, as seen in Exodus 17. Born as a baby in order to fulfill the Ten Commandments, as we saw in Exodus chapter 20. Born to be our perfect Sabbath rest, as we see in Exodus 24. Born to tabernacle, to dwell among us, to tear the dividing wall of hostility down between God and man, as we have seen in the careful and intentional description of the tabernacle, born to proclaim mercy and grace to a needy people, born to be the man of war as seen in Exodus 15, but now delivering us from the ultimate enemy, the ultimate enslaver, the ultimate bondage of sin and death. This is why Jesus was born, and it was all done for you. And so what should we do? we should quickly bow our heads and worship. Come and worship. We, we should, like Moses, bow quickly before him. We should devote our entire selves to him this Christmas season. We should run to him, not run from him this December. We should come and worship Christ, the newborn king, with our hearts, with our voices, with our bodies, with our lives. Let us worship Christ, the Lord, the newborn king. The old Christmas carol, angels from the realms of glory, says, come and worship. Stand with me. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn king. It says, saints before the altar bending, watching long in hope and fear, suddenly the Lord descending in his temple shall appear. Church, come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ, the newborn king.